Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I'm so glad I have Jay Warner Wallace on this hour. I can hardly wait. I'm so looking forward to picking his amazing brain. Uh, He is a a Dateline featured cold case detective. He was a senior fellow at the Colson Center, is a senior fellow at the Colson Center for Christian Worldview, adjunct professor of Christian apologetics at Talbot School of Theology at Biola University, and author of Cold Case Christianity and God's Crime Scene, Forensic Faith, and creator of the Casemakers Academy for Kids. Now, I want you to access his uh, material. So go to coldcasechristianity.com, coldcasechristianity.com. Get on his uh, daily email, access his videos, his blogs. This is brilliant stuff, and I want you to know about it, and I want you to go and sign up. He uh, is with me today for the whole hour. Jim, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No, I, I just, you know, I'm a big fan. So I'm I'm just always grateful when you come on. And I've got a million questions to ask you today. Okay. And I want to start, if you don't mind, um, just curious, uh, because we're about to look at one of the biggest court cases in U.S. history going on in, in my hometown of Minneapolis in the next yeah, month. Yeah, no, I know that's true. Yeah. No, that's very true. Yes. Yeah. So, so from a law enforcement standpoint, um, how do you think this is going to go down? You know, I, I wish I could tell you all the detail. Remember, that I, this is the trick about all of these cases, um, is that you, what the trials typically do is they adjudicate, they, they look at, and they, they are looking for what laws have been violated, right? So mm-hmm. I don't really, t- I'll be honest with you, I don't know all of the sure. nitty-gritty details about the interaction and what started all of this. I just know what we're, the, the kind of snippets and videos, uh, sound bites we, we saw shortly thereafter, and I'm thinking, wow, this is, you know, I thought the same thing that everybody else thought. But I know in the end, when all these come down to is looking at what is the law, what you know, what are the protocols, what did people think they knew it going in, what was their mindset going in, and so almost always the the resolution is dissatisfying to people who are watching it, who are not part of a jury process. Like the jury comes to this decision, and everyone's going to be like, how can they make that decision? How many times has that happened, right? Where you thought, right? Oh, I, I think I know where this is going. This is well, if, if if you'll say things like, if there is any justice at all, the verdict that you're anticipating, of course, will be reached, right? And then it doesn't get reached. And you're thinking, well, you know, what's the deal with that? And a lot of it is because jurors are are given instructions about how they are able to vote based on what laws are in place. And if you haven't changed the laws that are in place, and we're just going on the laws that are you know in, in place at the time, often you'll see that jurors will say, well, look, we felt like given what was presented to us. That this was the most reasonable inference from the evidence, and this is what the law says about these actions, wherever they are. And so we voted this way, and we'll look at it later on and say, well, it doesn't seem right, you know, however it comes out. So I'm anticipating that, uh, really, for the most part, uh, this is not unusual in in these law enforcement cases where you'll think, well, you know, how is it they didn't convict these guys? How is it they didn't um, um, fire these guys? Well, a lot of it is going to come down to what are the legal rights, what are the legal protocols in place. Mm-hmm. And when all the facts come out, 
you're really judging against that, not not against the, the video soundbite. So so I'm just anticipating that that if something doesn't come out the way that most people think it ought to come out, that they're going to be hostile against these jurors. But in reality, jurors are kind of limited by what they can do given the laws that they're trying to uh, work within. So mm, we'll see. Yeah. As they're doing the jury selection this week, it seems that quite a number of jurors have been uh, feeling very intimidated by the idea that if they get on the, the jury somehow, are they going to get their their windows broken at their house and they're going to get uh, uh, hassled and spray painted and, and they're they're intimidated. Have you found that to be the case in other well, jury trials? You know, that is something to talk about because I do think what's happening is um, – and that's not – forget about the jury situa- situation for a minute, although it applies there, right? It's not just that. It's that. There was a sense that they're – like let's say you're a legislator. You're somebody who runs for office, and now you're in office. Well, there was a sense that people wouldn't go to your house and throw you know, Molotov cocktails at your, at your door. Right. Uh, like, like another, but that's – but I, I kind of wonder, are we still there? Is that – is that still outside the bounds of, of civil discourse? I think it is, but but more and more I see that regardless of what side of the aisle you're on, it doesn't really seem to matter. Um, like politicians don't have that kind of um, privacy anymore. They don't have that kind of protection anymore. This is probably true of celebrities. This is true of any of us. I mean, I don't know if you realize how simple it is and how easy it is to find out. I can find out where Bill Arnold lives tomorrow if I'm right. willing to pay the $15 online and get your entire you know, arrest history, your, your employment history. I mean, all this stuff is available to people. And, and so if it is, then the question becomes, well, then what keeps uh, people from just going to someone's house and burning it down? Well, it used to be that there was a sense of moral structure and civil discourse in the country that – I mean, of course, there's always outliers, right? There's always people who will break the, law, break the laws. But now it's almost like, well, yeah, we're supposed to harangue uh, people when they're at, at a restaurant if you don't like their policies. We're supposed to, um, you know, steal their, the, the, you know, turn over their table at the restaurant. We're supposed to throw a brick at their car if we don't like their policies. In other words, I don't even know there's rules anymore for anybody. Forget about the jurors. But yeah, I can see why <laughs> jurors would be saying, "Hey, I'm not sure if I sit on this panel, am I just opening my life up to? Uh, will I be sure? Of, will I have anonymity? Will I have no anonymity?" What if I get in a position where I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the case the way it is, and I'm thinking, well, yeah, I, when I first started, I felt X, but now that I've watched all the evidence, I feel Z. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm going to make either the X group mad or the Z group mad. Right. So, so, so I mean, and, and, and I'm, I, I could totally understand, and that really, I think, is the bigger issue. The bigger issue is where are we now as a country? Uh, and social media has only exacerbated all social media. Did, and we thought, oh, it's social media. It's going to make you more social, right? We're going <laughs> to no, be in contact with our media. Yeah. yeah. So what it's done is it's caused us to dig the tribal holes deeper and to hunker down in those holes deeper and to throw larger objects from those holes toward the other side. That's what we're doing on social media. And mm-hmm. I think this has amplified the hostility, right? It's not, we feel completely uninhibited. To name call, use profanity, to vilify the other side, and this. And by the way, this is not a right complaining about left or left complaining about right. This is I see this on both sides. Um, I, I block probably as many people on my social media on both sides of the even the religious or the you know the the, the theistic or the uh, political whatever the thing that divides us. I don't see that one side's doing a much better job than the other when it gets to social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what about it being a fair trial? Will, will will he get a chance to feel like he's had a fair trial? Well, 
okay, if, if this is how it'll go. Okay. You know this already. I do. Uh, if the, <laughs> if the if the defendant is adjudic is is vindicated is is um, you know freed, he will say or she will say it is a fair trial. Well, of course. And and the family will say that was not a fair trial. That was not. And of course, the exact same thing will happen in the opposite direction. And and that's where it's. This is where where I think that our sense of what the nature of truth is in our culture makes a difference. So, for example, if all truth is simply a matter of perspective, personal perspective, like you have your subjective view about what is good, I have my subjective. There is no objective good. There is no thing that transcends both of us. There's no right or wrong that is tra- uh, objective. And transcendent. If every every uh, notion of right or wrong is simply a matter of personal opinion, then every time you don't, your opinion is not met. You're going to say that something is immoral, because you're the, the only decider of what is moral. So if it doesn't, if you don't agree with it, then that's an immoral act. And this is why we're able, as we become more and more subjective in our thinking about all truth. This is why we're more and more often now calling the other side not just wrong, but immoral and evil. Because after all, we are the only decider of, of in, a, in an entirely subjective culture. We are the only decider of what is moral and what is evil. So I think in the end of this, uh, what you're going to have is that one side will win; they will see it that way, and the other will lose; they will see it that way. Which means that one side will think the other side is immoral and evil and needs to be burned down. And the other side will think the same thing if, it, if the table is turned on them. And I think what we're seeing all of this, this, this increase in violence, this increase in uh, name-calling is because we are more and more inclined toward a subjective view of truth, including moral truth. Mm, Jim, that's so smart. Um, so good. I appreciate that comment. I, I feel like I'm going to take a break because when I come back, I do want to ask you, as we talk about social media and how it just is, seems to dominate the world, right now I want to talk about the danger of of celebrity in Christianity and then the, the fall of Christian celebrities um, in a social media-dominated world. So I would love to discuss that. I know you've got lots to say on that. Jay, uh, Jay Warner Wallace is my guest. And go to Cold Case Christianity, coldcasechristianity.com. Access all of his uh, information, his books, his videos, his blogs. It's all brilliant stuff. We'll be right back. Jay Warner Wallace, he's written a whole number of wonderful books, Cold Case Christianity, and he also has written one, Cold Case Christianity for Kids, and uh, God's Crime Scene, and God's Crime Scene for Kids, Forensic Faith, uh, Alive, A Cold Case Approach to the Resurrection. I have all of his books, and they're wonderful. All right, Jim, let's talk a little bit about uh, the problem with Christian celebrity and how social media is affecting and creating these Christian celebrities, and then the fall of them. I know. Well, I think this is, you know, I, I, I did not say much about this publicly um, when it happened because so many of my peers uh, either did YouTube videos or TV shows or radio shows on the fall of Ravi Zacharias, mm-hmm. right? So we have this huge, uh, horrific, horrific, I and mean, you could not imagine a worse set of disclosures related to any 
Christian public figure, regardless of if it's an apologist or not, right? And here we are talking about Christian apologetics. So often you and I, and this is somebody who comes out of that entire right. world, right? And, and just it's just tragic. And people who read it couldn't believe it. And they refused to believe it for a while. You know, it's like, there's just no way they would say. And I'm, I'm just assessing it and thinking to myself, okay, so so how do we get here, right? So I wasn't a Christian until I was 35. And, and as I watched the Christian world, this is the kind of stuff that I would laugh about, that I, I thought, this is why I'm not a Christian, um, because this is it's all about this stuff. It's all about, I used to get up every morning when I was a kid, uh, because I didn't have any Christians in my family, but I would watch a televangelist on TV locally here in Los Angeles. And he had a show. I'm not sure where it was broadcasting from. It wasn't. It wasn't here in Los Angeles, but it was broadcast here about 5:30 in the morning. And I get up early every morning for school. And my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, would would see me watching this show in the morning, and she, and she would say, uh, "What are you watching that for? Like, why do you care about that? Um, you don't even, you know, you don't believe any of that stuff." I said, <laughs> "No, it's not about the. It's you have to watch this. I want you to watch. This is a 28 minute show, but at 21 minutes, he's going to pivot from the message to the money." And I just want you to watch him do it. It's brilliant. He's going to figure out a way. And whatever it is he's preaching about, he's going to figure out a way to transition into a request for money. You won't even see it coming. It'll be like so <laughs> natural. You'll mm-hmm. just go, whoa, I, I believe that. I believe this. And that's and I, I was offended by it as a kid. I used to like that's just so evil. That's how I saw it. Okay, now I'm not saying. Look, I'm not making that passing a judgment on on ministries today that that are funded by by donors. I'm just telling you how I saw it as an atheist. Right. And I don't think I'm I don't think I'm alone in that. I think that's probably pretty much the standard view that atheists hold about this kind of thing. So as I watch this, I'm thinking, man, you know, there's a couple of. Th- it's hard for me to say this, okay, Bill, because so many of my friends are people who are running public ministries. But I will tell you this, I, we've said it before, you and I have talked about it, that the only three reasons why anyone does anything they shouldn't do is sex, money, and power. That's it. It's it's financial greed. It's sexual pursuits of one nature or another, and then it's a pursuit of power. Power is the, the catch-all in the third category. First John, I think First John 2, or is it Second John? I'm going to get in trouble now. I remember my verse. But uh, John writes about this in one of the letters. You know, pride of the lust, of the, lust and pride of, of life, these kinds of things are, are, are described best in those three categories. Financial greed, sexual lust, pursuit of power. And often people will use two to get the third. So if you're somebody maybe who feels like you don't – you're after actually after the sexual lust side of it, uh, but maybe you're not a, a, a super attractive person, but you've got money and power. Well, guess what? You're probably going to end up with a third thing, and so they'll leverage two to get the third. Now, I'm only saying that because with a lot of my crimes, I work murders, and murders are always generated by these three things, but so is every crime. Every crime is motivated by those three things. So when I became a pastor, you know, I became a Christian at 35, eventually went to seminary, got a seminary degree, started youth pastoring, then I started lead pastoring. And I'll tell you that um, I wanted – I knew I had to protect myself in those three areas because those are the only three areas where you're going to get in trouble anyway. So I just said, okay, if we're going to pastor. We're not doing it for any money. We're not going to take a salary from this. I got a salary as a detective. I'm just going to have to be bivocational. I'm just going to have to figure out a way to squeeze this in, but we're not taking money from our people. That'll take the money out. Second thing I said, we're not going to we're going to, not going to do anything apart from each other. We're going to do this ministry as a couple. I want to take that out, so that takes that out. And the third thing was, well, we're only going to have a church. We, we did a church, a small cell church of about 50. You could never have more than 50. We couldn't fit more than 50, and I wasn't going to increase our debt or increase, you know, I have to take collections for, for mortgage. I wasn't going to do it. 
So I just took those three things out. Now you're in a position where you can pretty much at least you can uh, can you still do something stupid? Yes, but if you protect yourself in those three areas, you're actually doing pretty well, and that you'll have much less of a chance. So if you ask me. Why do these big celebrity Christians fall? Why do these big, well-known Christians fall? How do they live this quiet life behind – well, first of all, everyone has that quiet life behind the scenes. If it's not a quiet life they are acting out with other people, it's a quiet life they're living in their head. But I'm just telling you, we're all that guy. So I get that. We're all driven by the same – we all want to corrupt those three good things that God could use for good – sex, money, and power. We all want to corrupt those three things. Okay, So I'm not any different than anybody else. Don't get me wrong. But what we've created in our culture is we have created professional, paid, public Christians whose job it is to be a public Christian. I mean, if you had to define it, that's what they're really doing there. They are professional Christians, and many of them rise to celebrity status. And now you've got two of those three things already in place, money and power. And that's what I think happened with Robbie. He's got, got two of those three things were in place, and that trifecta, you know, that that unholy trinity, is what gets you in trouble. And if two of the things are already in place, uh, that third one's probably quick to quick to follow. And so that's why I think we have to protect. And so that's the struggle for all of us. Because look, I, I wrote a book. I mean, I, I for ten years I had a website called pleaseconvinceme.com. It was just a small website. I was youth pastoring. I was lead pastoring. Nobody was visiting it, but that was how this all started. Then I changed it to to coldcasechristianity.com, and I wrote a book. And then before long, people start reading your books, and then they'll say, no, they know that guy. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay, now now we're in that danger zone. Well, i got to figure out a way to resist the the, the, our our natural inclination toward raising people up when, when you shouldn't, toward celebrity. And I think all of us who do that, and you're in the same position. You've got a radio show that gives you a public platform. And at some point, you will introduce yourself or somebody will introduce you as Bill Arnold from the Bill Arnold radio show, right? I mm-hmm. mean, that, that is now – so you have some celebrity. And that's the kind of thing that we have to – and all social media does. And I think what, what happens for a lot of us is we start off thinking, I want to grow my, my, my celebrity and my social media platform so I can talk about Jesus. But so often I see at some point it's, it flips, and suddenly people are talking about Jesus so they can grow their social media platform. And the minute that flip occurs, you're in trouble. So this just has to be – that's why I always say you don't need another million-dollar apologist. You need a million one-dollar apologist. <laughs> All of us who stay in our lane, we have a small group in our family and friends that we influence. We do our best to take our life experiences and share them with others, but we don't seek to become the next person in this lineage of Christian celebrities. Jim, it's hard to handle any kind of power or attention um, or admiration. Yeah, no, it is. And I think that's what that's and it's it's very seductive. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a great word for it. And and what it can do is is that 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 in, you know, how many times have you seen this? Let's just be honest. You see um some older guy who uh is dating someone who's much younger than him. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, how does that work? I mean, how, what, what, what does she see in him? I mean, I've seen this, right? <laughs> like you're, you're looking at this couple, and you're hey, – this is a very worldly sense. You're saying, what, is, what does she see in him? And, and then you discover that they walk over to the Bentley, and they get in the Bentley together, and mm-hmm. you realize, okay, well so, – so again, he's leveraging two of these things for the third. And this is very, very seductive. And that's why if you want to protect yourself, if you're listening to me right now, the way to protect yourself in every situation, it's work or it's whatever it is, 
it is to um, to put the guardrails up under the, under those three temptations because that's where it's going to come. It's going to start with one of those three, and that just starts to eat at the other two. So it's really important to to protect yourself in those three areas. Yeah, I've been in circles for years, Jim, with Christian celebrities, and I see some of the star treatment they receive, and I wonder if that's healthy, if that's uh, helping the situation or making it even more difficult. Well, and this is the first thing that happens, right? So you write a book and people want you to come speak about it. Well, now you're speaking on a stage. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, you know, that's, that is, um, there's a new movie coming out. It's called Church People. Um, and it's, it's a small production company. They sent me a copy of it. And it was an interesting premise. The idea here is that it, it's poking fun. It's a comedy. And it's poking fun at the way we try to leverage. We, and we excuse this by saying, hey, if I can do this crazy celebrity thing, um, I'm going to draw more people and they'll hear the message of Jesus. That's always the kind of excuse we use, right? But in the movie, it's, it's got funny scenes about, you know, I mean, honestly, how many times do we go into large churches today where people on the worship stage, there's a good chance that someone on that stage is going to get a record deal. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And that when, if you're singing in front of thousands of people every week, how many times do you see someone out of American Idol say, well, yeah, I started singing in the church. Well, I think that's great. Okay. I just, I don't think it's great though. If the goal of singing in the church is to get to American Idol. Mm-hmm. Right. But if that just it happens to occur, that's one thing. But I, again, I think the temptation is that we have taken everything and we brought it into – I saw a post on Instagram today of a church that was posting about their their green room and their, their, their tech room behind the scenes and how many screens they've got. And then they pan out to the stage, and they show how all of these screens are controlling different cameras on the stage. And I thought, oh, my gosh. I, okay, are we now – I don't know. Does anybody like watch that and think to themselves – this is the danger of celebrity. We, we have recreated. In other words, where we used to say, we're going to go into this holy place to worship God, and someone will be preaching from an altar. <laughs> okay, Now, someone's going to be preaching from a stage. The same word we use for every other kind of celebrity in pop culture and in, in secular culture. We just have another stage, another auditorium, another... Another, and we've kind of like shifted our, all of our, our behaviors toward this. And I can imagine, what would you do if you were going to shape a service where you were going to restrict and remove any opportunity for celebrity? I mean, now we're live streaming everything because of the coronavirus this last year, right? So now everyone's got a TV show basically because everyone's <laughs> got true. a YouTube channel, right? I have one. Okay, so I'm not – no one's no – one we're all in the same boat here. But my question going forward, and I was just talking to one of my partners about this and another apologist, is how do I go forward uh, doing this work but reducing this temptation? You know, On YouTube, it just shows you how many subscribers you have, and everyone knows how many subscribers you have. And then at some point, it gives you the ad- analytics every day, and if you wanted to, you could adjust your thumbnails on that, vi- on that video to try to increase people to watch it, or you could talk about this topic only. You know how many times after Robbie Zacharias fell that everyone in the world was talking about him? You know why? Because those were the most watched videos of anything they had done in a year. Wow. Because they wanted to clickbait this particular topic. Mm-hmm. We have to be really careful yeah. about that. No kidding. Jim, I'm up against a hard break. We'll take a short break and be back with uh, Jay Warner Wallace. Uh, we are uh, talking about the celebrity culture among Christians today, and it's uh, troubling. But we'll be back with more with Jim in just a minute.
So glad to be back with Jim Wallace. He is an author and a speaker and a professor and a really engaging mind. So I always like when he can come on the show. Jim, have you uh, recently kind of t- um, refreshed your website? It looks fantastic, by the way. Oh, well, thanks. You know, here we just talked about this, okay? And then you play the music that has the Bill Arnold right, I know. show. I mean, <laughs> seriously? I know. And then we talk about your freshened website. So there you go. <laughs> exactly. I know. So now you, I think you only brought that up so we could have – I could not tease you about the other thing, right? You can tease me back. Exactly. No, no. This is just something that we talked about, right? This is really a real problem, yeah. Christian celebrity, because we're in a world – here's why it's a problem. Is because celebrity is not just a problem for Christians now. It's a problem for everyone. So, so if you remember when I was a kid, uh, I was in garage bands. You know, I loved the idea of, of if I could grow up and be a, a, a playing a band, that would have been like just like a dream, right? I mean, how many of us thought that as kids? We'd <laughs> love to play in some pop or rock band, right? So, uh, of course, that didn't happen because I had no talent. But the, that's a whole other other issue. But but I can tell you this: uh, it used to be if you if you were a successful um, a recording artist. It's because a recording company heard you someplace, signed you, paid for everything, and re- you recorded in a studio. Uh, now, is that really necessary? You can get to you can get your songs to to Spotify directly, and if you, the equipment is available now, computers can do what it used to be. That you remember, you used to have a whole room full of equipment to record at a, at a level that you would think would be acceptable as a demo. Oh, we're going to record a demo. I got to do that in the studio. We got to record and get some, hire some studio time, right? So rent some studio time. Well, now all you need is garage band on your Mac, and you can bang this thing out in your garage. And, and the reality of it is, is this is also true for everything else. Oh, I, I wish I could be on TV. Well, there are YouTube channels right now where people have just bought themselves, a, you know, a four hundred dollar camera. Uh, they're streaming onto YouTube, and they've got you know three million uh, subscribers. They've got a larger audience than most of these you know Discovery Plus shows, okay, that are now launched right now. So I mean, you literally could do that yourself. Oh, you want to publish a book? Well, self-publishing world has gone nuts. I mean, if people say that I'm an author, what does that even mean anymore? Uh, because we could, all of us could could produce a book and get it on Amazon, where it competes alongside everyone else's book, without ever having a publisher get involved at all. Um, so again, what we've done is we've said that the, the, the funnel points that used to be in place that kind of gate kept the, the, the celebrity in public, right, are gone. You can, if, if you're successful enough on your own, on your TikTok channel, you can become an influencer, and then that form of celebrity you can leverage into cash. I mean, we've seen this. I mean, my daughter sent us this, this TikTok video of this girl who was advertising an exercise bicycle. And we went online to see what it was, you know, what it cost uh, on Amazon. It was the only exercise bicycle that was complete, a bicycle that was completely sold out, sold out because of this TikTok influencer. Wow! So celebrity is available now to everyone. It's not just available to us as pastors and authors and Christian authors and Christian communicators. It's available to everybody, and that's why I think it's the danger is is that now the only thing we respect is. What will make me famous? And how many times do you see people who are posting on Twitter and pick a topic and are intentionally provocative? And, and here's how I typically put it, Bill. This, you and I have talked about this before, the idea of otherism, this idea that we are otherists. By our very nature, we are so prideful that we think we are drawn toward people who are like us, and we separate from people who are otherly. They are different than us. And the stuff that sells right now is stuff that magnifies our differences. So if you could say um, – if you said, uh, I've got a book, and it's like four great ideas on how to parent. 
That's one way to do it. The other better way to do it, if you want to sell it, is uh, 10 ways that you're parenting wrong. <laughs> Go to the other side and say, those guys stink, and mm-hmm. here's why they stink. And I'll tell you what, that, that's, a, that's a more popular YouTube video for sure. Oh, for sure. And so this is the problem is that most of this celebrity now is at the because of social media it just it just everything's on steroids and so it, whatever was provocative last year in terms of colors on your thumbnails in terms of titles the way you would title something um you know, I think there's a, there's a video that takes advantage of this on on uh on Netflix it's a comedy special I think it's called Asian Comic Destroys America hmm. I think that's what it's called something like that uh, he's a Chinese comic. He's he's fantastic. He's been in a couple of movies, and it's and it's definitely R-rated. But my point is, the title is such a provoc. It's such a typical YouTube title. Here's why the other. I'm going to destroy the opposition. Is um, is popular right now on social media. That kind of wording because we have become not more socially amenable to each other, but we are um, contrary. We are we are. We're despicable toward each other, and and that seems to be the stuff that people want to watch is you destroying somebody else. Mm-hmm. I'd be talking now to anyone who's been on a committee for um, hiring a speaker to come to an event, whether it's a women's event or a men's event, and usually the question among committee members is who can draw the most number of people. That's of course. Yeah, exactly. And I, I get it. Right, because you, you you have a conference that has a bottom line financially to break even, and you, you want to get past the bottom line, right, to not not lose money, and because everything is monetized, um, again, it's sex, money, and power. This is why mm-hmm. you got to take this. I always say it this way: if you have a YouTube channel, but I told you you could not get your advert advertisements have been taken off, you're demonetized, so you can't make any money from your YouTube channel. Number two, you could never know because YouTube now is not going to show how many subscribers anybody has, and they're not even going to show you on your analytics how many subscribers you wow. have. Now tell me, how many videos are you really going to make on YouTube on a weekly basis? Yeah, it, it makes you no money, and you don't even know if anyone's watching. Mm-hmm. But it's power and money that drives that, and and that and my my fear is, is that why we're doing this? Honestly, this for me, this is why I, when I first came into ministry, I I waited until I had a, a pension, before I started doing anything in Christian ministry, and the first group I worked with was like, what well, we want you to come out early. I'm not I don't have a pension yet. I'm not coming out until I have a pension. And here's why, I don't ever want to say. That without your help, I could not do this. So please give me support. I get it. It's not. It's noble. It's, when people support you, they are in a sense entering the mission field with you. I get all that. But for me, I wanted to make sure I could take the money thing out, so that the pension is not great, but it's not bad, and I can survive on it. And we're not. Gonna, we're in this house for 30 years. It's the smallest house, one of the smallest houses in the neighborhood. It's going to stay that way. We're going to die in this house, <laughs> okay? <laughs> because that stuff's not. I can't let that stuff drive me. Right. You know, instead, you just have to kind of, you know, work through it and and realize that if you would do it for nothing, you're probably doing it for the right motivation. Mm -hmm. I sometimes think of the price tags that are coming on some of these speakers, though, too. And what is what is reasonable? I I was on a men's committee once and the speaker we contacted to come share his faith story wanted thirty five thousand dollars. Yeah, well, that's okay. So, so I always put it this way. I, I now I, I when I do my uh, honorariums and then people ask, what do you what's going to cost? Well, I have a guy who books me, and so I, you know, it's going to be whatever he thinks that he's right. going to charge. But I always tell him, look, I'm more interested in this at sixty next year 
I need to know, but it's, it's really about what will it cost to get me away from my wife for one day. <laughs> and as I get older, that cost goes up because right. I feel like I'm, my, my time is short. Right. It's shorter. And honestly, this, I just have to focus on, on that. That's what I'm talking about. Is right. that, that do we need any of this? No. If we did, it's different. I get it. There are people, but I just think that in the end, because we have, and this is a category I don't see in the Book of Acts. You know, I, Paul says that the, the, the disciples had a right to be supported, right? And he said that. He also said though that I'm not asking you for that because I don't want the gospel to be hindered. Mm-hmm. So I think yes, I think that 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 the, the worker deserves his wages. He says this to Paul to Timothy. He says Timothy, you know, these pastors as a pastor as a leader, you deserve to be compensated for your work. The worker deserves his wages, and that's true. But he himself would say that I'm gonna. He's a tent maker, and he was gonna stay that way because he felt like he didn't want to hinder the gospel. And there were lots of times when he took support. Don't get me wrong. Of course, you see that throughout all of his letters. But he does write that that although the right is there, how much you take advantage of the right is another thing. And so I would just look for opportunities for all of us when we say, okay, am I doing this next event to increase my platform or because I feel like that's really a good, effective opportunity to share the gospel? Because some are better than others. Some of these things you do are really not going to be opportunities where you can even share the gospel robustly, maybe, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you have to make those decisions. And I think as long as, as we are putting that first, uh, that's a big deal for me, um, and, and as I watched that situation with Christians in the last year or two years, really, who have been in the high public eye, who have fallen, uh, it seems to me that 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 is is um, that's preventable. But it's preventable only if you look at that those three motivations that we all have, and you put the safeguards in place to make sure that those don't exist for you. I remember Jim about 25 years ago. I spoke at a number of youth workers uh, conventions, and there must have been thousands of youth workers there, and it was just a, a very high profile number of musicians and speakers and sure. you know people in it and i would talk to some some of the groups that were there and and they said well there's only you know 19 kids in our youth group but they still paid for us to come to this and i said is this like a big tease for you cuz you don't have a budget to bring in any of these people and they yeah, said well, yeah it's true. it's kind of a it's kind of a, a tease and i said well you know if you ever want to hire me i'll i'll come for whatever you have well, and this is this is a good point, though, right? Because a lot of this is um, it, it's back to that one dollar apologist, thing, yeah. right? It's back to our are you we, excellence is something we should all strive for, as though we're the only one preaching the gospel, and it has to be done ex- in an excellent way. Uh, has to, and I think it's just an offering you give to God, right? That you want your excellence to be this gift you give to God, but it's really an overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks kind of a thing. Right. It's like I, my whole sense of it was that if I was excited about the Los Angeles Rams here. Or the Chargers, they got two teams here in this in this area. Uh, I probably would find myself talking about it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, whatever you're excited about, you're going to find yourself talking about it. So if I said to you, "Hey, I want everyone to start a blog and just write about what you're excited about," I wonder what all these blogs would be about, right? So I'm just suggesting if we are who we say we are as Christians. And we're excited about the gospel, and if we were asked to write a blog, well, eventually it's going to be a blog that that preaches the gospel. And that's where this $1 apologist kind of begins, right? It starts with it's not that expensive, and you can see it's it, it costs you zero to do a YouTube channel, okay, a zero opportunity. And if you never have more than 100 viewers, that's okay because it's not about the celebrity. It's just about – it's just overflow of the, of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you are excited about this and you're constantly talking about it and you want to flip on a camera and put that video up a lot, great. But I don't think about it in terms of, well, okay, so what's the topic I should talk about in March of 2021 that's going to get the most clicks? 
it's kind of like, what is it I'm studying in Scripture right now? What is it that I, I go, oh, that's a great – look what I discovered in the book of Acts today. I discovered this passage in the book of Acts where Paul is for the first time called Paul. He's called Saul up until one moment when he's in front of Sergius Paulus, and he uses the Roman version of his name for the first time right there. And it really initiates his ministry to the Greek-speaking and to the Roman world, right? It's just like he's like, now I'm on path to do this. I just never saw it before. I never like thought, hey, you know what? That's the first time that Luke is calling him Paul. He says, yeah, Saul, who was also called Paul. Well, apparently he was always called Paul all that whole time, but you didn't choose to say that until right now <laughs> when he's initiating his ministry on the first missions trip at the first stop in front of Sergius Paulus. That's interesting to me, right? So, so if I, I'm thinking about it all day, and I'm thinking, okay, so if I was going to write something today, it would probably be about that. Now, is that the perfect thing to leverage my platform and to grow my audience in March of 2021? Probably not. <laughs> but it is the thing that I thought was cool today, Yeah. right, in, the, in the, this morning's reading. So anyway, that's the stuff I think we have to can be focused on rather than, you know, what is – don't let the tail wag the dog. Don't let the, the whole goal of doing any of this be that I want to become a Christian speaker for the purpose of celebrity. Yeah. And when that – you do see this happen with Christian speakers. At some point, we're all going to face that temptation. Why am I really doing this? Mm. Take a little break. Jim Wallace is my guest. ColdCaseChristianity.com is his website. I, I insist you go check it out. ColdCaseChristianity.com. Be right back. ColdCaseChristianity.com. Uh, Jim, I, I always feel like I want to brag on you just a little when I get you on the program because the first time, the only time I saw you in person was at a, an event. There's probably 300 people there. It was a breakfast. And you were uh, so generous with your material. You said, as people were busily taking notes, you said, you don't have to take notes. This is all available on my website for free. And, you know, sometimes I think, well, who, who does God want at this event? Because if everything is driven by numbers and YouTube popularity, and I'm always kind of bugged by people who are instantly trying to hustle me on their on their website where they say, you know, before I get to the content, make sure you sub- hit the subscribe button right now. So I apologize if you do that as well. Well, I know I, I haven't been doing that because I'm not <laughs> good at – I mean, there's like these protocols that you have, right? If you're on, on YouTube, they'll say, make sure you ask for this at this point. Make sure you ask for that. And I'm terrible at that stuff. I always forget. But but I mean, the reality of it is, again, I, I'm just put, you just put stuff out there. It could, could it be put out more effectively? Sure. Could it be time better? Pro- probably. Could you leverage it maybe to build a, a larger audience? I don't have anybody that helps me with that. I just – every day – you're thinking about whatever you're thinking about that day. Um, you're exploring whatever you're thinking about. Like there's a, the one, like the, one of the biggest podcasts right now. I'll give them a free plug here. A Christian podcast right now is um, the guys from Duck Dynasty doing a podcast called Unashamed. And if you look at that podcast every day, it's just a bunch of nothing. But they're going through the Book of Acts themselves right now, and so they're just you know, every day they talk about something in the Book of Acts or something. They get a rabbit trail on some spiritual issue in their lives that's going on that day, and it's they're completely oblivious to how to pace this or how to position this 
to leverage what's going on in the culture to build a huge platform. They're just banging through what they're going through, right? They're just they're just doing their stuff. And in the end, if if God uses that, then I feel like you know, of course, that's great, right? And that's, that's I think what our goal is is, hey, we're gonna walk through the stuff we're walking through. And when I'm thinking about something that inspires me to write something or do a video, well, then I'm just gonna throw it online, and we'll see what happens. Uh, it's, it, who who can it reach? Uh, but also trying to figure out how do you take all the money? How do you protect yourself from, the, especially when you're selling books? Because in the end, I can demonetize everything, but books when they sell, you're you're not gonna be able to demonetize that. So then the question, like my wife always says, is yeah, but what do you do with the money you make with it? Like how are we reinvesting this in the kingdom? So so that becomes the next question, right? But again, I'm in that position where I have a pension. And this is why when I teach this class at Biola called Applied Apologetics, I only ask them to read two books. And one of the books I ask them to read is, is Bob Buford's Halftime, mm-hmm. which is his book about how do I, in my 50s, leverage what I've done so far? How do I aim that in my 30s? I'm aiming at 50s, thinking at that point I want to leverage and go from success to significance. How do I take whatever – how do I go into full-time ministry on, on, on all – leveraging what I've already done? Can I invest? What do I have to do early in, in my career so that at the age of 50, I can make this pivot? And that's what I'm trying to help young uh, apologists be able to do so that they are free to do it without the motives that, that get us in trouble. Mm-hmm. One of the um, Christian celebrities who fell, and sadly, was the guy who – who wrote the book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, the Joshua Harris. Right. Mm-hmm. And not only did he say, I'm leaving my marriage, but I'm declaring today I'm no longer even a Christian. Right, right. And, and, and by the way, if, if that was a $1 apologist, somebody who yeah. who, who was, had said, you know, um, we're going to, I'm in charge of a church of 50 people. Well, that would have been devastating. Mm-hmm. And that would have been terrible, but it would not have been as terribly influential as it is when a celebrity falls, a celebrity that we decided to raise to celebrity status. Right. Right. And then, of course, when that happens, and this is why we should all be terribly afraid of celebrity status, because we're all that guy who, you know, but for the grace of God, can do something stupid publicly uh, or or privately that comes out publicly that destroys us. And not only that brings shame to um, Jesus, because we, we're basically celebrities for Jesus. So I think that's why it's so important for us to do our best to resist it. And what does that mean? It means that you try to demonetize as much as you can, that you don't get caught up in the, the, the number of clicks you get. I don't, you just stop looking at that. Stop looking at all the stuff in the comments and stop looking at how big your – how many followers you have on Instagram. And You've got to stop. Just, just ignore it. Um, and, and if you're posting in those areas, then learn how to post without being concerned about the response, uh, positive or negative. Uh, I try to be pretty neutral and blind to, to all of it. I mean, I think on the negative side, you're going to get beat pretty badly if you're a Christian publicly on social media, and they're not going to be nice to you. Um, and you have to be able to have a thick skin about that. Uh, and also, and so I don't take that stuff seriously. I'm not going to let social media either make me feel good about myself or make me feel bad about myself. Uh, and that's part of it. You cannot get caught up in that. I almost think, man, it'd be nice to go back to flip phones. Like we all do like Breaking Bad. You know, we're all we're all just got flip phones. They have no social media access, and the entire social media world just disappears. Uh, wh- I think this is something we're going to long for in the next uh, few years, for sure. Mm-hmm. Jim, I certainly don't want to excuse anybody, but you think of pastors today who are really stressed out, probably overworked, and just uh, with very little margin, and they find themselves uh, full of despair. 
Yeah. Well, and look, this is easy to get despair because a lot of what you do is by comparing yourself to right. others. And so this is the this and by the way, this is why so many young people are finding themselves. This is the, often reported as the most uh, depressed and the most. Um, the, the largest numbers of self-reported mental struggles, all kinds of different data comes out on Gen Z that demonstrates that this is this is not helping. Social media is not helping us. Um, you know, think about it this way: when you drive by your neighbor's house, you don't know what you're. It's easy to live in a neighborhood where you don't know what your neighbors even think about certain issues. Imagine if, though, every time you walk by anybody on the street, above their head was a big balloon that said their political party, their view on all kinds of social issues, their view about God. It was always. Uh, screaming right. and a balloon above the, you would probably hate half the people you walked by you'd want to <laughs> disassociate from right mm-hmm. because there's no we've given up all semblance of privacy my wife always says the virtue of privacy right which is exactly what it is we ought to pursue virtues and one of them ought to be that you don't need to know everything I'm thinking you don't need to know everything about me I mean, some of this is just about civil discourse, is that I, I can only choose to divide from you over controversial issues if I know everywhere you stand on every controversial issue. I don't need to know where you stand on all those issues. But a lot of, a lot of you know, it's going it's to be impossible for us to even have conversation. We're so tribal right now. Mm-hmm. If I said to you on one side, well, I, I heard the news said this yesterday. Where'd you hear it? On CNN. Half people would say, well, that's fake news. Oh, so I heard it on Newsmax. Half people say that's all fake news. In other words, we're so tribal that we just go to our little niche source for news, and we don't trust the other side. And this isn't making things better. This isn't making us more likely to get along. We're actually so distrusting of the other side now. I don't know how, how we got to learn how to preach the gospel in that kind of world. Yeah, Jim, what has social media done to privacy and modesty? We've voluntarily given it up, and most people yeah. don't care. I mean, most people, if you think, well, okay, you know, I think maybe there's some good reason to believe that, that is Google listening to me through Alexa? I mean, through, is, is Amazon <laughs> listening to me through Alexa? Right? Mm-hmm. Is my phone listening to me through Siri? Mm-hmm. Are my cameras that I have set up for in the house to, for security purposes, are they watching me when they're not supposed to be on? And most people would say, oh, well, they are. They are. So, wow. Like they, we voluntarily said, well, you know this on your phone. Look, I don't know if you realize this. But you can do, you can do. Um, my son writes search warrants on. He's, he still works as a detective, and he's done search warrants on on your Google data, because if you're using Google Maps, well, Google keeps track of where you are at all times, so it can send appropriate regional advertising to you on your phone platforms. So you could, it's it's constantly telling people it's got a, a record of where you are. Yeah. Um, and we've, we've, I mean, by the way, we've, we've volunteered that. We, we've downloaded that app. We, we probably clicked the button you didn't even realize they gave them that permission. So we've surrendered our privacy for sure. Yeah, you can go on your phone settings and I think shut off the location services button so it doesn't track you. But um, I'm surprised too what it's done to uh, people regarding their own modesty. It seems like everyone's got tons of pictures out there on the internet which will live forever. Yeah, I, I don't know. This is. Have you guys noticed this? Uh, this is what I. I so uh, if they're on Twitter and you have people following you, some of the people I see following me, they're younger, they're younger than me, and I, I don't. I think they're just not appropriately dressed. Wow. And I will try to. I think I should probably block this person. Well, then you go on that that person's profile and you realize, no, this is actually somebody whose every post is scripture or something. It's just this is just the immodest nature of the generation that is using the social media. Like this is they they are looking at other immodest models and people on TV and advertising and that's what they think beautiful is. That's what they think it is to be pretty. It is to be masculine. It is to be whatever. 
And so they're copying those things. And you're like, wow. I mean, if you just saw these kinds of, of, of you know, uh, shots, headshots for your for your profile, if you just saw the, if you just seen these, you know, 30 years ago, you'd be going, whoa, this is kind of pornographic, right? I mean, it's almost it's so immodest. Mm-hmm. But we've just taken all that for granted now. That that uh, we are immodest because that, that's that's that immo- immodesty is basically a, a scale that you can choose where you want to stand on that scale, and so as a culture, as we inch over to one direction or the other on the modesty scale, it seems like wherever you're standing is the center, like that's the average, like this is acceptable now because we're now we're way over at this edge, but it doesn't feel like you're on the edge. To that generation, you're standing right in the middle of the scale. You still have movement on either side. I look at it in my age. I'm like, wow, you're pretty far to the edge. There's not much more movement. You can go any further on that side. But for the person who's standing there in this generation, they're in the middle of the scale, and they still see lots of range of movement on both sides. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think it's interesting to watch us kind of surrender our modesty because it just takes that scale. It, it slants it. Yeah. You know. So well, I, I describe this way as a pendulum that swings, right? But it swings on a on a platform that's starting to tilt. Yeah. So that means although it's swinging, it's swinging further out as the platform tilts. Yeah, great point. And so what we have is a tilting platform. Jim, you're such a delight. Thank you so much for doing the show. I so appreciate you. I'm glad to be with you. I'm looking forward to the next time. Thank you so much. Jay Warner Wallace okay, has brother. been my guest. Go to coldcasechristianity.com. That wraps up our show for the day. Thank you so much for spending the time with me. I've loved it. Looking forward to tomorrow as well. Have a great night, everyone. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.